Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line by embracing behavioral economics. And now, here are your hosts, world-renowned thought leader on customer experience, Colin Shaw, and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. It's that classic phrase, isn't it, of one lie begets another ten. It, you just end up drawing this incredibly complex labyrinth of lies and trying to keep track of them all. I just does my brain in, so I learned from early on, just don't bother trying. People found that really unsatisfying. They wanted to know a reason why it wasn't working. And he didn't know, like he didn't know how the technology worked. He had one big red button that he could push and that, that was it. I mean, it's a bit like when you're buying a house. We were looking at a house a couple of years ago and we went, blimey, this driveway's big. And then you turn up and it's about three foot long. This podcast is sponsored by Verant. Verant helped the world's most iconic brands build enduring customer relationships by connecting work, data, and experiences across the enterprise. The Verant Customer Engagement Cloud Platform draws on the latest advancements in AI and analytics, an open cloud architecture, and the science of customer engagement to meet ever-increasing, ever-shifting consumer interactions and demands. So Ryan, I've got this really good friend of mine, but I've got to tell you some bad news. He's a compulsive liar. Oh, really? Is this one of those quote-unquote, I've got a friend stories <laughs> that you want to tell, Colin? Yeah. Why don't you tell have... us about your friend <laughs> who's the compulsive liar? Uh-huh. Yeah, so I've known this guy for 20-odd years, maybe 30 years, and he's a really good guy to be around. You know, he's a, if, if you go down the bar with him or the pub or whatever and He's a great guy to be with. He's the life and soul of the party. The only trouble is, is when he starts talking to you and telling you what he's done, you just can't believe him, <laughs> is what we've learned over the years. Well, I mean, as long as you know that, it makes him very predictable. Precisely. The other interesting thing is that when new people meet him, they believe him, <laughs> <laughs> which is also quite interesting. So today, we're going to talk about lying, because we thought that would be an an interesting topic to talk about, because people lie. That's with the exception of my good self, obviously. 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 So I I think there's a couple of frameworks you want to kick around, and then we'll just get into it, yeah? Yeah, there was one that, that you turned me on to, which I thought was really interesting. We'll leave a link in the show notes, but this one was uh, developed by a guy named uh, Nir Eyal. Uh, and he's a, a consultant and an investor. Uh, he's written a couple of books. But he created a two-by-two two framework. And as a business school professor, I'm a big fan of two-by-two <laughs> two frameworks. Um, uh, and so he divided different categories of lying. He said you can lie to two different audiences. You can lie to other people or you can lie to yourself. Um, and you can lie about facts or you can lie about kind of your own values, who you are, for example. And, uh, and then he's got different labels that go in each of these quadrants. We don't need to dig into all of those in great detail, 
But I think that the, the idea of dividing different types of lies up, different types of deceptions up, is very useful in helping us understand why people lie and when people lie. The most interesting distinction on, on that chart to me is the idea that people both lie to others, but then also lie to themselves. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting. That is interesting. And, and in fact, some research kind of ties those two types of deception together, or at least shows how one influences another. Dan Ariely, who we've talked about a number of times on the, on the podcast before, he wrote a great book called Predictably Irrational. Yep. He spent the last several years digging into honesty and deception and figuring out why people lie. He argues that the, the main framework that, that we use to understand lying is almost an economic perspective. It's this, this trade-off between risks and rewards, what we get out of lying versus the risks we take in lying. And that describes a lot of dishonesty. But he argued it's not enough that there's also this self-deception part which comes into it. So in a lot of his experiments, he would give people opportunities to lie, and then they would receive various payouts for those lies. So for example, he might have you roll a die, and every time you rolled a number five, you'd get some reward. And he would either have the research assistants watch you as you rolled, so there's no opportunity for deception, or you could self-report your rolls. You tell me, Colin, what you rolled over the last 10 shots. Yeah. And unsurprisingly, uh, people lied, right? If I'm not checking you, there's just a, an opportunity for free money. And so on average, people would report rolling number five more often if nobody was watching them. Yeah, what was interesting, though, is that as the payoffs for that increased, this economic trade-off model should predict that, that you should just lie more and more, right? If I'm going to pay you lots of money for each die roll that you get, that's incentive for you to lie more. They found though that that didn't happen. As the payoffs increased, people were actually more honest. Wow. And yeah, it was surprising. It was, it was big news. And, and the reason that they produced for this has to do with the self-deception. The idea is that, that we can lie a little bit and still deceive ourselves into thinking that we're mostly an honest person. But as soon as we really go in on this and we start lying and getting a lot of money and reward, we can't lie to ourselves anymore. We have to face the reality that, that we're cheating. And that's painful. We don't, we don't like to think of ourselves in that way. Yeah, it's interesting because it feels like there are degrees of lying, doesn't it? Yes. You know, yeah, that's it, exactly it. It's that classic, well, it was only a white lie. In other words, a small lie that doesn't really impact anybody. And even lying to someone to make them feel better you could say it's sort of more altruistic in terms of lying. You then go to the other end and I immediately think of politicians. You just go, that's just a lie. (laughs) (laughs) There's no way that's true. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's a video of you saying something else two years ago and now you're telling me it's completely the opposite and you didn't say that two years ago. And you think, how the hell do you get away with that? I mean, what makes it really interesting is you wonder if on some level they do believe it. Yes. Like it, the, the capacity that we have to lie to ourselves is vast. I tend to believe that, that a lot of times these people who get caught out know that they're lying and are still just trying to bluff their way out of it. But I think that there are also cases where we just rewrite our memories of the event and we genuinely believe that that was how we used to behave. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think as well, it's sort of from a, you apply some form of altruistic reason don't you i'm doing it for the best of intentions maybe i am not telling a uh, i'm telling an untruth here 
one of the phrases I loved from uh, British politics a few years ago was, I was being economical with the truth. (laughs) (laughs) Which is a great British way of saying, I lied. (laughs) Well, that just sounds like, you know, fiscal responsibility, I think, at that point, which is something we should all want our politicians to do. Yes, no, absolutely. Yeah. And what's that other one in the States recently was alternative facts. Yes, alternative facts. (laughs) Okay. Uh That's an interesting Um, phrase. Truthiness. Yes. No, absolutely. Fake but accurate. Put it in in a custom experience context. We would not, absolutely not advocate lying to customers. Okay. That, you know, that's definitely something that you shouldn't be doing. And for me, you should be trying to tell your customers the truth as early as you possibly can. So in other words, to help manage their expectations. And I think people lie because, and I think in a customer experience setting, there's two instances I can think of. One is the classic one of the salesman exaggerating what the product does or whatever it is to get the sale and basically lying. And then there's, I don't know, the call center agent who won't tell the customer that the delivery has been delayed a week but will continue to tell them that they'll do their best to get it out and but in their heart of hearts say, no, it's not going to turn up the next day. There's clear cases of right and wrong, but what's much more interesting to me is all the gray areas in between. So I, I had a, a friend who, when he was in high school or soon after high school, he worked at a call center for some kind of satellite service. So I can't remember if it was satellite radio or TV or something. And he said that people would call in with complaints about their their service. And his one big fix was to reset the system for them. And that fixed it, you know, 95% of the time. Whatever the problem was, he would just reset the system, it would work, and that would be good. But he found that people found that really unsatisfying. They wanted to know a reason why it wasn't working. Right. And he didn't know. Like he didn't know how the technology worked. He had one big red button that he could push, and that that was it. And people didn't want to hear that from him. So he started telling these white lies about the reason for the failure. And he, he would usually go with something about weather. You know, oh, well, there's there's weather conditions in your part of the country that, that are causing some problems now. But I, I fixed it for you now, so it should work. And he found that that just smoothed things over tremendously. <laughs> people just wanted a reason. And kind of anything he could tell them would would smooth that over. Now, again, you and I are not advocating for lying. That's going to come off and come back and bite you often enough that it's not worth it as a strategy. At the same time, I think that there are even in business situations, these little white lies that can be told that kind of smooth things over. And, you know, you tell people that they look great in their new jeans, even if they don't and, and this kind of thing. So here's an interesting question for you. Is framing lying? So maybe we should just briefly explain framing to people so it's the if framing is and we did a podcast on this a little while ago we'll put the link again in the show notes so framing is the way that you pronounce something or the way that you articulate something the one of the best examples i've had is looking at a car do you turn around and say it's, it does 22 miles to the gallon or do you say it's best in class now both of those are true but what you're doing and i could argue you're lying by omission aren't you of what the thing is you know that actually telling the real truth that it's 22 miles a gallon is not going to be something that maybe customers like for instance so is framing lying framing as it's studied 
is not because it, it has to be like it, if, if I were to submit a framing study to a peer reviewed journal, even the, the framing that you just used in your example, that wouldn't fly scientifically because right. those are not equivalent. In scientific studies, the framing has to be equivalent. So saying that ground beef is 75% lean versus saying it's 25% fat, that's okay. That's that's equivalent information. I'm giving you nothing. Saying that a surgery has a 90% survival rate or a 10% mortality rate, that's equivalent information. As it's practiced in the real world, I will say that framing offers the opportunity to lie or at least to deceive. So as you said, you know, you could say two true statements, one of which though is clearly designed to obfuscate the truth. It's clearly designed to deceive. You see this a lot with data presentation too, where you can play with the the axes on the chart, play with the, the range of values that are shown and make a flat set of data look like it's increasing or an increasing set of data look like it's flat. There's lots of opportunities for presenting true information in, in misleading ways. I guess it, part of it is about what is it you're gaining, isn't it? Because I could argue that some advertising is lying. Mm-hmm. There used to be an advert in England for an insurance company that imaged people. The tagline was, quote me happy. Okay. Mm -hmm. And they had pictures of people falling about the floor, laughing their heads off with the quote that they just got out of joy. Okay. Let me tell you, the experience when you phoned that company (laughs) didn't evoke that emotion. (laughs) I can imagine. And that's just a classic example of, I mean, it's a bit like when you're buying a house. We were looking at a house a couple of years ago and we went, blimey, this driveway's big. And then you turn up and it's about three foot long. It's just they got oh, they these massive fisheye like lens. Fisheye lens, <laughs> yeah. 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 You know, you feel disappointed, don't you? But I guess the issue is, well, first of all, I think that's just bad practice because that's manipulating. And and again, this is where I'm, I'm going to with it. Is this about the motivation, if you like, you feel manipulated and you feel like somebody's lied to you, really. It's not 20 foot long, as you want to point out. It's it's three foot long. Not that they'd written that in the spec, but they know what they're doing and the reason they're doing it. From this rational perspective, this economic perspective of lying, it never makes sense under any circumstances to lie in such a way that you will easily be found out. <laughs> I'd like to encourage all of our listeners to visit verant.com backslash boundless to download the latest research report on the engagement capacity gap. I would also suggest you go to verant.com backslash engage to register for Engage 21, the company's annual customer engagement event. An award-winning storyteller, Jay Shetty, is one of the keynotes who will be kicking off the conference that runs between May 19th through to the 21st. It's an interactive, free, three-day virtual conference that's open to everybody, and you'll discover best practices and tools that can help you build enduring customer relationships. Register at verant.com backslash engage. That's verant.com backslash engage. So you're saying it's okay to lie as long as you're not found out. I didn't actually say that. You, you can derive that from that. I know, I know that this whole podcast is you looking for 
an excuse for your friend. Let me put that on CNN tonight. uh, Ryan Hamilton said. (laughs) (laughs) There's various justifications for lying. Um, Most of them are not good. (laughs) But one of the justifications for lying is that it works. So sometimes, you know, there are people who commit frauds who make lots of money in doing that. Yeah. That's not a moral justification for lying. It's still bad. It's still evil. But that is a justification. Like if it if it works, then then we're going to do it. In cases like the one you're talking about, it doesn't even work. Like it, you're going to be found out immediately. I have my friends who are single and using dating apps talk about how ridiculous it is. The pictures that people choose to put in there. So the, these are your friends again, are they? These now? are. Yeah. <laughs> If, if you think I've got time to use a dating app okay. on top yeah, of everything we, else, we, I've we got know going about on your own. friends using these dating apps, mate. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Man, this this episode has turned ugly, Colin. It's, uh, I don't like what this says about either of us. It's a great topic. Yeah. But the point is, if if you're using a deceptive picture in your dating app, the hope is that you're going to like get somebody interested in in you enough to talk to you, yeah. and you can kind of move past there. But at some point, they're going to meet up with you. Like at some yes. point, somebody's going to pull up to that that three foot driveway and actually realize that they've been duped. And to the point you were making earlier, that evokes usually a very strong emotional reaction. Yeah, from people people do not like feeling like they've been lied to. But people also lie to avoid conflict, don't they? Actually, I forgive you for everything bad you said about me, Colin. <laughs> I've published a paper on that. Oh, there's a coincidence. Yeah. Or is yeah. this a lie? So we, it is a coincidence. Colin did not know this while we were sitting Was this with your friend? <laughs> no, it was with your friend. Thank you very much. If you ask him, he will tell you he was on that paper. In fact, he will tell you it was his idea. This is a, a paper that I published several years ago where we had people in a negotiation setting where each person only had some of the information and they had to negotiate an outcome. And we put them in situations where they felt high or low rapport with the person that they were negotiating with. So either we had them introduce each other or had introduced themselves to each other and spend a few minutes getting to know each other first and then negotiate. Or in one of the studies, the negotiation took place strictly via text message versus meeting in person. And what we found consistently is that when people had higher levels of rapport, they were more dishonest towards that person. And it was exactly this point that you're making. They they wanted to reduce conflict. They didn't want to give them bad information. The, the negotiation was set up such that it should have been impossible to reach a conclusion that would satisfy both parties. It was deliberately set up so that the, the two parties were irreconcilable. Right. But if you felt rapport, you were more likely to lie in order to reach a conclusion, in order to kind of save the other person's feelings. Right. So yeah, there, there are cases where good motives, wanting to reduce conflict, can lead to not telling the truth. So to be clear, in your paper, the more you got to know somebody, the more you would lie to them. Yes, in the interest of reducing conflict. It, right, okay. I need to tell my wife about that one. Yeah, so the when you feel close to somebody, you don't want to disappoint them. You don't want to give them bad news. Right. You don't want to tell them this can't happen. Right. And so in the interest of that, people ended up kind of betraying the person that they were negotiating on behalf of, who'd given them a list of things saying, absolutely do not do these things. You see, that is interesting because I would have thought that the people that you're really honest with are your closest family. 
because you've got nothing to hide, if you like. Oh, really? You you think you've got nothing to hide from your family? <laughs> I definitely don't like this podcast. Do mate. you actually have a family? Do you have people that? No, I mean that is that is the intuition, right? That people we know really well, we should be able to be more open and honest with. And I think that in general, that's likely to be true. Yeah, yeah. But there's also this group of cases where telling somebody that you're close to the truth is going to hurt their feelings, right? Yeah. You're also more likely to tell these little white lies to family members in order to smooth things over. I think that that's why it's when we've got these conflicting goals and these interactions that we run into problems. Yes, and and it's interesting because you start getting into sort of lying from a social setting, don't you? Yeah. Because as you were talking, I was thinking about people lying to their boss. Is this task on time? Yeah, it's done. I've nearly finished it. I haven't even bloody started it, but, you know. Yeah, yeah. Or... Do you want to come out tonight? No, I've, I've, you know, I'm seeing my friends. Well, I'm not seeing my friends. I just want to sit in tonight. I just don't want to tell you. I want to sit in tonight. But you're afraid if you told them the truth, it would hurt their feelings. Yes. And so, or, or that it would make you, or it would make you look bad in some way, whether sort of hierarchically or or whatever else, being a boy and a git or something like that. But yeah, it would make it would make you look in a different way, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, this is, again, it goes back to these small lies that we can tell that allow us to still be in kind of that gray area, right? So if we can justify a lie by saying, well, I don't want them to think badly of me, or I don't want to hurt their feelings, then we can still see ourselves as being an honest person, but an honest person who tells some lies. And and the point is that there would be limits to that, right? So even if I, I don't want to have conflict with you, even if I don't want you to feel bad, there's presumably some point at which I still couldn't lie to you and still see myself as a generally honest person. Yeah, that I think is the most interesting area. It's lying to yourself and then justifying to yourself, isn't it? Here's an interesting thought experiment that that I think I heard Dan Ariely use in a talk. Like, imagine that you're you've been working for a company for a long time. You need some office supplies at home. And so you just, you know, stop by the office supply closet on your way home and you grab some pens and a a notepad and toss it in your bag and then head on out. Is that dishonest? Well, that depends on the policies of the company, I suppose. But, you know, in some sense, you are just taking stuff from the firm. And yet for a lot of people, that would feel kind of okay. That would, like, that's not a big deal. Suppose instead that you were walking by the executive assistant's desk and the drawer was open and there was the petty cash in there that she keeps for small expenses. And so you just, you take out a few bucks so that you can spend it on office supplies on your way home. That does not feel like a small thing to most people. Like even if the, the dollar equivalent of the amount that you were taking in both of those cases, taking money just feels like stealing. And so it's hard for us to tell ourselves that we're an honest person if we steal cash. But if we borrow a notepad, that doesn't feel as bad. So, yeah, it's 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 almost about how we can deceive ourselves. Yes, what are the stories no, we can tell ourselves? And what I've worked out with myself is I am a useless liar. <laughs> and one of the things that you could tell about my friend that I spoke to about at the beginning is <laughs> that classic phrase, isn't it, of one lie begets another ten. Mm-hmm. It, you just end up drawing this incredibly complex 
labyrinth of lies and trying to keep track of them all. Yes. I, my, I just, that's my brain in. So I learned from early on, just don't bother trying because you're just not any good at it, basically. And I guess that gets to some of the, the other point, doesn't it? Which is, I guess there must be people that are just much more convincing liars than there are others. And you can pick up all those types of signals through stuff that we've talked about before, which is things like micro expressions and just the raising of an eyebrow or the dilation of your pupil and things like that, that you don't necessarily, unless you're somebody trained that you can pick up on, that you don't see, but you do see because you're intuitively picking up those signals that somebody's not telling the truth. Yeah. People who are very skilled at lying also intuitively pick up on a lot of the things that we've talked about, where if you feel closer to somebody, then you tend to believe them more and feel like that they, you know, they have your best interests at heart and so therefore would tell you the truth. And so a lot of people who are very skilled at lying are also very skilled at making you feel special and trusted and, and feel like your relationship is close. And I, I would assume that your your buddy is also extremely personable and tells a great story and people feel close to him quickly and all these things facilitate lying well. Yeah, but you said a really important word there, which is trust. Yeah, and, absolutely. And in, in all the work that we've done in with customers, you know, the key thing that you've got to build with customers is trust. And that's about aligning what you say and what you do. Uh, because it becomes very obvious if you are lying, basically, or they can't trust you. And if that happens, then it's a real tough road to get back from in terms of trying to build that trust up. I don't know what the ratio would be, but it would feel like it's, you know, you have to do a load more and prove things so many more times to build that level of trust up again. It doesn't take a lot of deception in order for that trust to be ruined. You know, you could be honest nine times and then if a customer finds out that you've lied to them once that's going to destroy the trust okay so let's go to our usual question so what what, what does this mean that people should do? What's the practical takeout from this recommended actions that what should you do? I think just the recognition that we lie to ourselves and do so easily and do so often is really important. I heard an interview, this was after that big 2008 stock market meltdown. I heard a radio interview where the, this reporter went and talked to these guys at a bar on Wall Street where a lot of these brokers hang out. And this was after the US government had poured all this money into these investment firms and bailed them out. This reporter just wanted to know, like, do you feel guilty? Like, do you feel bad that the taxpayers have like bailed out your firms and, and you guys behaved unethically and, and yet you're not suffering any consequences? And over and over again, everybody that this reporter talked to said no. It was essentially, and it, was, it struck me because it was very similar to interviews I've heard with con artists. Yeah where people will see their own actions as justified. And, you know, if you were dumb enough to be taken in by my con, well, that's really your fault. It's not my fault. It, the best advice I've ever gotten about honesty and lying is that if you initially feel uncomfortable about something, if you feel like something is wrong, you need to take those initial impressions very, very seriously. Because if you think about it and start to justify your actions, you can talk yourself into 
all kinds of unethical behavior being okay and fully justified in this case. And you're still an honest person, even if you're doing this. So my best advice for avoiding self-deception is this is one of those cases where you can really lean on your intuition. Something feels uncomfortable or, or icky, you, you really need to stop there and take that seriously because your, your intuition is pretty well honed for that kind of thing. Good advice. I would add from a customer perspective, trust is key. You only build trust up by what you do and what you say, and the two things need to, to match. And therefore, you've got to be honest with customers. And I really do think that managing customers' expectations is is a key part of that, whether it's at the beginning of a sale and being honest with the customer about what the product or services can do and what it can't do. I think that builds trust. And also, if there is any conflict, I know people don't like conflict, and I, and I know it's sometimes difficult to tell customers bad news but you got to tell them because if they catch you in a lie then that's all your credibility shot to hell basically no matter whether you think the lie was justified because you you know it's a 200 million dollar account and blah 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 blah. you know you got to remember that at the end of it is a is a person and they're looking at you and just trying to work out whether they can trust you or not thanks so much i hope this has been useful Ryan and I are going to go and have a chat with our friends <laughs> about lying. Colin's going to talk to his friend about training for being a better liar. Yes. It sounds like this is something you can improve on. Yes. Colin. And I'm going to vet Ryan's dating app picture. <laughs> <laughs> it was recent. I swear it was recent. Excellent. Okay. Thanks so much, everyone. And uh, talk to you next week. Cheers. This has been The Intuitive Customer with Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton. But it doesn't end here. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast to find all of our shows, access free tools and resources, and subscribe, won't you? That way you'll never miss a show. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast. And we'll talk with you next time on The Intuitive Customer. <laughs>